Hey, bookworms. Welcome to the Picky Bookworm Podcast. I am so glad you are here. I am the Picky Bookworm, and I love bringing recognition to indie and self-published books through book reviews, proofreading, and podcasting. Every Saturday, I get to talk to a member of the writing community, from book bloggers to authors and even other podcasters like myself. I'll include a link to my website where you can leave a comment with your thoughts on the show or questions for the author that I may not have gotten to. You can also find information on how to sponsor this podcast. Ready? Grab your tea, wine, or laundry, and let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Picky Bookworm podcast. I am so excited that you guys are here. If this is your first time uh, listening, uh, welcome. And you picked a good one. So I am super excited to welcome Chaz Halpern to the show today. Uh, We actually met um, because he, I guess, saw something on my website um, my review policies, I think it was, and sent me an email saying, hey, I'd love for you to check out my book. I, of course, do not accept free Kindle um, copies of books from authors, and um, so I let him know that. And he um, very, very kindly sent me a free signed copy of his book, The Physics of Relationships. It sounds adorable. Cannot wait to read it. And um, cannot wait to talk about it today. So, um, Chaz, welcome um, everybody else. Grab your tea, grab your wine, grab your laundry, Caroline, and we are going to jump in. Chaz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Um, Okay, so it looks like your screen side has frozen, um, but that's cool. I can still hear you. Um, No worries. Okay. Okay. So real quick, um, before we get, um, jump into the, the chat, um, tell everybody just a little bit about yourself, uh, when you started writing, why you started writing and just one or two things that inspire you. Okay. Um, well, I started writing many, many years ago because I was for many years, a professional, I guess you would call it a script writer. I, I worked. Uh, I live in the Bay Area, in the San Francisco Bay Area, so I worked for a lot of the big uh, tech companies in the area, you know, Google, Intel, all those things, as a freelance writer, director. So I used to I used to do a lot of sort of web spots and things like that. I was hired to do when people needed something that was a little bit humorous, but also in the marketing vein, they would come to me. I worked with a lot of actors and that sort of thing, and um, so for many years I've been a writer and. Of course, I had to toe the corporate line. And at a certain point, I thought, you know, I'd really like to write something in my own voice. And that's when I started seriously writing uh, novels. And I would say that happened maybe about eight years ago when I started really uh, kind of pivoting toward trying to create a, a career as a novelist. And um, what inspires me? Well, you know, it's uh, what inspires me to write is really a question. I start with a question. Uh, the book that we're talking about, The Physics of Relationships, came about because my wife and I, who have been married for many years, uh, kind of started discussing a topic that kind of comes up when you've been married for many years, and that is, what would life be like if one of you died? 
you know, we're so we're 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 very connected as people. It's been years that we've been together, and it seems just almost impossible to continue on if your spouse dies. So I wanted to write something that was both realistic and at the same time hopeful about what life could be life could be like after a spouse dies. And that was the beginning of writing uh, the physics of relationships. Now, I just, I didn't intend necessarily to make it humorous, but that's just the way I write. So, so the book is leavened with a lot of sort of subtle humor. Yeah, uh, and it, it sounded like it would be sweet, like not necessarily like laugh out loud funny, right. um, but it kind of seems like there's most likely, and unfortunately I've not read the book yet, but I am super excited to read it, um, that there's a lot of like, aww, kind of moments <laughs> in it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, um, the main character who I have to admit is a lot of me, you know, uh, I, uh, w one of the things that people ask me often is, uh, the the book has three main characters and they're all women of different ages or there's a couple that are sort of in the 60ish age and then there's one who's younger 30ish and people say well you're a man why did you write a book about three women and um my answer to that question is just simply that i grew up surrounded by women i i i grew up with a single mother and two older sisters and literally did not have a male role model in my life until i was quite a bit older. So all my formative years were basically formed by women that I loved and respected. And yeah. so to be honest, writing in the voice of a woman comes pretty much naturally to me uh, as it does to write as a man. Uh, so that's my answer. Take it or leave it. <laughs> well, and you, you probably, you know, having, you know, being surrounded by women like that, you probably grew up with, you know, several female friends. And, you know, even as an adult, you probably have a lot of women, um, maybe through your wife that are, are friends with your wife, who you can go to and say, hey, did I, did I voice this correctly? Did, you know, is right. this actually how a woman would sound? And, you know, because a lot of times when I, when I read a a book that has a a woman main character it's not necessarily from the voice or the point of view of the woman but it the one of the main characters is a woman mm -hmm. um something that i a lot of times i notice when it's written by a man is the woman comes across as three one of three th ways she comes across either weak and, you know, it's the she's so feminine that she can't really do anything for herself. She has to depend on on a man for everything. So she's kind of, right. you know, weak, um, yeah. overly, overly masculine, um, not not feminine enough, which, mm -hmm. you know. That's there are women out there like that. I'm not necessarily a girly girl. Um, mm -hmm. I don't wear makeup every day. I don't make sure I get my nails done. I don't, you know, put on makeup every day. Um, but I'm not 
you know, I, I have masculine traits, wouldn't necessarily call myself masculine. So right. there are, there are women out there who are like that, but you know, I'm going to call out a, a major, major author who I think is terrible at this. James Patterson, <laughs> um, Okay. Is he he tends to when he writes a, a woman character and, and one of his major, major characters, Lindsay Boxer, in the, the Woman's Murder Club books, she's like that. She's a cop, but, you know, she has just a lot of those like more masculine qualities. Right. And then the the third way that you typically see um, a woman written by a man is overly sexualized. Mm. Um, you know, she's got almost that anime quality of small waist, big boobs, big butt, you know, right. athletic thighs, you know, and she's she's described more physically than anything else. You know, there's no. Right you know, how she thinks or, you know, opinions she has. It's all about her, her physical appearance. And so I often wonder, and it makes me really glad that um, you, you seem to have that, that sensitivity toward that, that woman's point of view. Um, because a lot of times when I see one of those three things, I'm like, okay, does this guy even know any women? <laughs> <laughs> right. Has, has he honestly ever talked to a woman? Like ever? Right. I mean, you just, you kind of have this, this visual, especially in the, um, you know, when a woman, woman is written overly sexualized, you kind of wonder, okay, is this like, your nerd is living in his mom's basement and has just never been out of his house. Right, right, yeah. Well, I, even in my adult life, I'm still surrounded by women. I mean, I I uh, married a woman, and then uh, we adopted a a, a daughter uh, who who now prefers to be called a child rather than a daughter because she's queer. She identifies as queer. Um. So I mean, the whole. My daughter actually worked for several years as a manager at um, an organization called Gender Spectrum. And it was it's an educational organization that uh, basically was the, the, the mission was to support trans youth um, to make their to make their lives a little easier. And so I've been exposed to this whole kind of. Uh, as you were saying, you know, you're not necessarily a girly girl. And uh, so Sorry I've been... about that, everybody. I hope you didn't hear that. Oh, I didn't hear Sorry. it. Sorry. <laughs> okay, good. Cause I just, you want to explain what you was... Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I, something just, something just fell over like right next to me and okay. this microphone picks up like everything. So I'm right. really glad you didn't hear it. I'm so sorry for interrupting. Continue. No worries. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I've been exposed to sort of the whole how else can I put it, but gender spectrum, you know, how, right. how individuals. And I think w one of the ways that I treat women is that, yes, women are different than men. And I kind of bring that out in the book. I mean, there's there's a, there's just a little bit of a wink, wink about, you know, relations between men and women. But, um, you know, 99% we're all just human beings. So that's kind of my attitude, you know. 
I, I, I go into this thinking, well, this is not that hard to do because after all, we all have the same emotions. We have the, all the same feelings. Now, men are less likely to express those feelings <laughs> than women are. <laughs> but It's very true. Yeah, but we're all, you know, underneath scratch the surface, we're all very much the same. Granted, there's some biological differences that also, you know, probably affect the way we approach life, but yeah, um, not that much different. Well, and something my something my mom has like drilled into me from the time I was a small child was the the differences in thought processes uh, between um, we we will say biological men and, and biological women because the you know one of the things that she just drilled into me is that men are very logical um, and mm. men are very solution focused. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she always just used to tell me that, you know, a lot of times women just want to be heard. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't need you to fix everything. We just, you know, sometimes we just want to rant. Sometimes we just want to complain. And, right. you know, we want to know that we're heard and we want to know that we're valid and that our feelings are valid. Right. You know, men are, women are typically ruled by feeling, ruled by emotion. Men are typically ruled by solutions and ruled by logic. And so because she always drilled that into me growing up mm-hmm. and I grew up in a, in a very binary world. Um, I did not, um, you know, really see the, the gender spectrum, um, quote unquote, until, you know, a few years ago, I know it existed. Um, right. but you know, there was not a whole lot of, exposure to it until recent years mm-hmm. and so I I grew up in in a very binary world it was you're either man or you're woman it's right. one or the other and so you know what I am saying about men versus women um is based on that binary ex- you know those binary experiences so if you know if I have any um trans, queer, um, anybody listening, I am not disrespecting or disparaging your identity at all whatsoever. Um, this is, you know, what I learned based on binary experiences. Um, so please do not be offended. Um, but you know, the knowing that, you know, men are solution focused, men are logic focused, women are are emotion and, and nurturing, you know, she always used to tell me that, you know, if you are talking to a man and all you want to do is complain, all you want to do is be heard, you pretty much have to tell him. He's not, <laughs> he's not going to instinctively know that you don't want a solution. Mm-hmm. You know, you right. tell him that you're having a problem with work or, you know, you're having an issue with your coworker. His his 
first thought and his first instinct is going to go, well, did you talk to HR? Well, did you talk to your coworker? Well, Mm -hmm. did you talk to your boss? Mm -hmm. Well, did you, you know, he's going to start listing all of these solutions and all of these ways that you can fix it. You just want to complain about her because she sucks, (laughs) you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. So the, you know, those differences between men and women and, you know, they're, they're very psychological, you know, because when you have a trans female to male, they, they will think like a man, um, you know, because they, they are man, but they also will understand that female perspective as well. And, Mm -hmm. You know, I I kind of hesitate to say this. I know my friend Gabe, um, who is trans mask. Um, I know he would understand what I mean by this because he knows me. Mm-hmm. Um, but they kind of have the best of both worlds. You know, mm-hmm. because that you know when I am when I'm talking to my friend Gabe, he has the um, you know that male perspective and those male emotions. But, you know, because he was female at some point, no idea when, doesn't matter. Um, He, you know, he understands that female perspective. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, when when you read his books, especially um, that really comes out and, you know, he is really good Mm -hmm. at writing those female characters and and those more feminine characters as well. so it's, but it's not something that is unlearnable. What, you know, what are, what are your, what are your thoughts on, you know, the, the ability to learn how to write in the opposite gender as yourself? Um do you think mm-hmm. that that is something that people can learn or do you think it that it's kind of a nature versus nurture type of argument? What do you what do you think about that? Well, um, in my case, it was nurture, not nature, because I'm right. I'm a cisgendered male. And uh, but just. Um, I, I really I can't speak for anybody else, you know, I mean, I, I would say that, um, you know, just just because of my experience growing up surrounded by women and not having a male role model, that sort of is equivalent to your friend who's trans in the sense that I kind of absorbed a a female perspective on life early in my formative years. So, you know, writing in the, like I said, writing in the female voice comes pretty naturally to me. I really had to learn later in life, you know, sort of what, men were like (laughs) it wasn't until i was you know sort of in the business world and met men and made male friends that i began to learn what it meant to be a man or at least you know stereotypically what we call a man um more more masculine yeah (laughs) yeah. can you learn i guess you can learn anything you know i mean if you if that in there's it, it was sort of making me chuckle while you were describing what you were saying because um in the in my novel the men kind of complain that they're required to read the women's minds, 
And you were saying you have to kind of tell them, you know, and there's some discussion about there. It's, it's, you know, somewhat humorous, but the, but uh, the main character sort of wonders whether, uh, you know, men just simply need to be trained. You need, you can't expect them to read your mind, even though that's what you want them to do. You can't. And, you know, yeah. there are times when I think my husband does. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there are there are a lot of other times where I I have to just tell him, you know, I want <laughs> you to do these things right. for me or, yeah. you know, this is what my love language is. Right. Just small plug for love languages. Guys, um, my my wonderful listeners, learn what your love language is. If you have a partner, learn what their love language is, because it it helps so much in just understanding how they show and receive love. That not knowing that part of your relationship with somebody, it causes so many misunderstandings. It it really, really, really does. Um, and, you know, so, yeah, small plug. Um, please go <laughs> learn um, what the different right. love languages are. Learn, learn what yours is and learn how to communicate that to your partner. Um, right. Because it, it really will help a lot. Um, I have not been married a long time um we just celebrated our five-year anniversary we've been together seven years um but that thank you but that was something that um we did fairly early on was learn what those were and it really has helped a lot in just how we communicate with each other and um how we solve problems. Mm-hmm. Google solves a lot of our problems. <laughs> um, we, yeah, we tell, we joke that, um, and we're only half joking when we say this, but we, um, we tell people that we hardly ever argue uh, because Google solves most of our arguments for us. Um, because it's normally, well, this means this. No, it doesn't. It means this. Well, okay, fine. We're just going to Google it. And we go and we look at Google and, you know, then we are able to admit when we're wrong um, and not gloat when we're right. So that's, you know, (laughs) small, small piece of, you know, marriage advice from a newlywed. Um, uh, Okay, so I am going to real quick... um, read the blurb for the physics of relationships and the um i know i have mentioned in other podcast episodes uh, you guys uh, listeners may be super sick of me saying this but i love a good cover i i am such a sucker for a good book cover and this one is adorable so um, definitely go and check uh, check it out. I promise, promise, promise that I will read and review very soon um, for everybody. So, um, but in the meantime, go and and buy the book yourself. Um, <laughs> so let me let me real quick um, read the blurb, and then there is a part of a, a review, um, part of a, a quoted review that I'm going to um, read as well. It's it 
speaks to the ability to write in a woman's voice. So, um, okay, Lexi is a 60-year-old widow whose solitary life is thrown into turmoil when a desperate young woman moves in with her, soon followed by the unexpected arrival of her best friend who has separated from her husband of 40 years. I am assuming Lexi's best friend. Um, so you've got two 60-odd-year-old women and a younger woman. The mix of these three very different personalities, a powerful omnivore seeking to live life to the fullest, a sweet, self-denying vegan, and Lexi, a thoughtful, still-grieving widow, leads to some surprising and sometimes humorous situations that force Lexi to re-examine her life. In the physics of relationships, Lexi observes that nature abhors a vacuum. She begins to wonder if she herself has somehow manipulated her circumstances to fill that vacuum, simply to imitate the life she had before the death of her husband. Okay, sounds adorable, you guys. Um, I, I honestly can't wait to read this. Um, I wanted actually to read it before you and I had our chat today. Did not get to it, um, but the book is not very long. Um, I think it says 223 pages, uh, so it's right. not very long. Um, I could probably read that in a couple of days, so I might get to it very soon. Um, but one of the reviews says, you did an amazing job writing so truly in the voice of an older woman. I found Lexi's character appealing from the first page, and her consistent voice made her a very sympathetic, fully realized character. So, you know, and this was it, from the name. It sounds like this was a woman who wrote the the review of this. So, you know, if women are saying you did a good job writing in the voice of a woman, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to say you probably did a pretty good job of writing in the voice of a woman. So um, what. I, I guess a, a good follow-up question for this would be, what advice do you have for other male authors or um, maybe anybody who struggles uh, to write um, in a woman's voice? What advice would you give those authors uh, for writing in the, in the voice of a woman? So if you're a man and you want to write the voice of a woman, I would say that you need to talk to a woman and have them read what you've written. <laughs> it's pretty much what you said. Uh, if you don't feel that comfortable that that what you've done uh, is authentic, then show it to women or have a woman editor who that you work with uh, and let them kind of review it and learn from what they're telling you. I, I have no other advice. Yeah, be and well, and be able to take that criticism too, you know, exactly. if, yeah. if the, if the woman says, you know, basically you didn't do this right. Um, and you know, women don't think this way or women don't talk this way. Learn from that. You know, I, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, be able to take that criticism. Um, I, I recently watched a, um, my husband is obsessed with, um, kitchen and, and cooking shows and he loves watching hell's kitchen with gordon ramsay mm. inevitably every season there's going to be that one cook 
that one chef, typically male, um, sadly enough, typically a, a male chef who, when Gordon tries his food or when he has a, a guest chef on that, you know, tries this particular chef's food and te- basically tells him, this is gross. Um, you shouldn't ever cook this again. The it is inevitable that there is one chef who is like, well, they don't know what they're talking about. Mm. My food is amazing. And um, they just basically refuse to take that that criticism and, and take that feedback from, mm-hmm. you know, these chefs. And it's like, OK, they're where they are for a reason. And. If you are unable to take that criticism, it's unlikely that you're going to make it very far in this competition. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's there's a lot when you're when you're a writer, um, there's a fine line. You have to have confidence in what you're writing. So, you know, chef who thinks his food is great. Uh, on the other hand, um, you have to be very sen- you'll also get a lot of criticism that just doesn't resonate with you right. and you have to be able to triage criticism that resonates and criticism that doesn't resonate uh the kind of criticism criticism that does not resonate is when somebody basically wants you to write a completely different story with a different intention it's like that's the story they'll tell you what kind of story they would like to hear and it's like well but that wasn't my intention that wasn't the story i wrote so I'm going to just discard that criticism. Right. On the other hand, uh, criticism that resonates can be painful, but you have to really pay attention to it. If it really, so yes, it's 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 a skill that you have to learn as a writer. Fortunately, because I've had a whole career as a writer and I've heard lots of criticism over the years, I'm used to that. Yeah. So. Um... This is this is actually a question that I um, I love asking uh, my author guests, um, but I keep forgetting it exists. Um, <laughs> ADHD brain hashtag. Um, but what what is a writing tip? Um, and be- before I finish this question, I'm going to say what I always say, and I am going to let my wonderful listeners know that I do not ask this question because I think that there is always one way to do everything. There are multiple ways um, to get where you want to go. Um, but I I love this question because there are because there are multiple ways to get places. Um, I, I love asking about various tips, tools, things like that, because if there's a new author out there who hasn't really found their own process and their own way of doing things, could be listening to this podcast and hear this, this part of the conversation with you and think, oh, that's cool. I hadn't thought of that before. Let's give it a shot and have it really work for them. So that said, what is a tip or a tool or a process that you would give 
to a brand new author who is still working on their debut book. Like they've decided they want to be an author. Mm -hmm. They've got an idea for their book. Um, They've started writing it. Um, But maybe they're running into, you know, some walls. Uh, What are some tips and tools that you would um, advise for them and, and give them? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily call it tools, but more of an attitude. Uh, First of all, uh, you can't be a a total perfectionist and be able to write because you're just going to run into writer's block. So don't be too hard on yourself. Just let it flow, especially in the first draft. Um, Just uh, trust yourself. Let the story flow. Don't don't expect to write a masterpiece. Don't ever expect to write a masterpiece and don't judge yourself by the standards of a masterpiece. Tell your story, be as authentic as you can and let it go. Then you can go back, you know, put it aside for a while, a month, two months, go back, take a look at it and see what you've created. Uh, And then you can be critical at that point. So that's one thing. The other thing is just persistence. I mean, um, the physics of relationships, I started writing about six years ago I wrote it relatively quickly. I'm a, I'm a pretty fast writer. Uh, I'm used to deadlines and that sort of thing, and I tend to write quickly. Um, so I don't know how long it took me, maybe eight, nine months to write the book. Um, then I had to, I had to, you know, rewrite it. And then I had to find a publisher who was interested. And then when the publisher, when I signed the contract, it was a contract where the publisher promised to print it within the, within three years, which is unusually long. So what happened was that from the time I started writing it to the time it was actually published was six years. In the publishing business, things take a long time. So you have to be patient and you have to be extremely persistent. Now, yes, there are people that kind of shoot to the top quickly for one reason or another, but that's just luck. That's not your average writer. So keep going, keep doing it, keep working on it. Um, Be open to... uh, criticism that resonates. And just in terms of just habits, um, you can't be a weekend writer. I don't think so. I think you have to make time every day or almost every day. You can skip one day maybe. Uh, But you you have to spend some time every day, even if it's 15 minutes, you have to do it every day because that's, at least for me, you, you have to create a certain uh, mental friction so that when you're sleeping and you think you're not thinking about the characters in your book, you, you somewhere in your brain, you are thinking about them. In order to get that mental friction going, you really have to be assiduous about the work. You have to spend time every day. So that's another, another uh, piece of advice that I would give writers. And uh, other than that, you know, don't don't try to imitate. Don't try to please others. Please yourself. Write a book that you would love to read. That's the only measure. That's the only standard that that works. You can't tell whether people want. You can't. Don't try to imitate somebody else's style or their story type or something like that. Just trust yourself. You have a story to tell. Tell it your way. Well, and coming from a reader's point of view, we can tell when 
the when the author is not their authentic self when they've right. written a book we we can tell um you know especially um you know i i am by no means an expert um but i have read a lot of books in my lifetime and you know when when the author is imitating the style of somebody else and is mm-hmm. not their self and not you know their authentic self we can tell um right and i know authenticity is you know kind of one of those buzzwords that you know we just kind of throw around and you know right. everybody uses but there's a reason that everybody uses it right so you know being your authentic self and you know finding out who your authentic self is and a lot of times you can find that by writing a book you know by writing a blog by you know social media and you know all of those things and you know then using that not just in your book but using that in your marketing using that in your social media using that in your communication with other people and you know because we as readers, we learn to recognize that, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I will use my, I'll use my friend Gabe again, um, as an example. Hi, Gabe. Um, he listens to the podcast all the time. <laughs> so, um, he gets really happy when I, when I start talking about him, but, um, you know, a, a really good example of Gabe's, you know, his marketing versus his website versus his books, they're all a reflection of him and they're all a reflection mm-hmm. of his self and his personality. You know, you mm-hmm. you talk to him on social media and he is he doesn't shy away from the sex talk. He doesn't shy away from uh, coarse language, um, quote unquote. But that's who he is. That is the kind of person that he is. If you go to his website, his website has that that kind of, for lack of a better description, that dark, smutty feel. Um, <laughs> but it works for him, you know, right. because that's his books are kind of dark and smutty. Uh, <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> And so, oh, his, oh, his books, I, I could honestly, the, the, the next 22 minutes of the, of the podcast, I could honestly sit here and just gush about, um, his books. Um, if you enjoy, uh, his, the, the genre that he writes in, um, his current series that he's working on is, um, I kind of tell people it's, queer dystopian sci-fi romance okay Uh, (laughs) yeah (laughs) but it's they are absolutely incredible um i don't read a lot of erotic romance um and but last year i promised him that i would read his uh the first book his debut uh the orchid and the lion for romance month for last february Mm -hmm. and i couldn't put it down I, mm-hmm. I absolutely could not put it down. 
And I tell people I am probably the best person to recommend these books to you because if he can get someone like me who doesn't read the genre mm-hmm. to fall in love with his books and fall in love with his characters, you know, and recommend his books to everybody. I don't care if you read the genre or not, you're going to find something relatable, you know, because he, his characters are so real and, and relatable and just they're imperfectly perfect or perfectly imperfect. However you want, you want to talk about it. So I could honestly sit here and and gush about them, but I, instead I will just recommend them to you. Um, read them and then email me and say, Oh my God, your recommendation was perfect. Uh, (laughs) So uh, speaking of book recommendations, um, I am looking over the information that you um, sent me um, with some of your book recommendations. And I, um, I would love to hear some more thoughts on Elizabeth Strout's Olive Kittredge. Uh, Mm. because you, yeah, you say, um, in your email, you said you will never find the words sad, angry, or lonely in her work, um, but you'll know it deeply when you read it. So what do you, what do you mean? Um, what do you mean by that? And, you know, cause it says, um, I admire her ability to describe subtle emotional states without ever resorting to literal description. So how does she manage to pull that off? Do you think? That's what I was wondering. <laughs> I have to go back and read it again, but that's that's the one thing that I really admired about it. Um, uh, it is a Pulitzer Prize winning book, and I think one of the things that made it a prize winning book was that she was able to. It's it's not just a description of the main character Olive Kittredge, who is the main character, but it's the it's the description of a whole small town in Maine. So you really get a portrait of the of the inhabitants of this small town. Um, so her ability to put herself into the soul of all these different characters in the small town, I think, I think was admirable. And she, yeah, like I said, she never resorts to saying, you know, this person is sad or anything like that. But you, you just you get a sense through her description and I don't I, I I still don't quite know how she does it but I, I would like to imitate it if I could <laughs> um yeah um you said like the, a skill to learn yeah yeah you see yeah. yeah I mean it, she avoids telling you what to think in other words or what to feel she doesn't tell you what to think or what to feel she gives you the circumstances she gives you details that that reveal so it's I guess you could say in the broadest terms, it's it's show don't tell, and which is yeah. what we're all always as writers we're always you know told to show things you know don't tell the audience what to think or feel. Well, and I um I I'm gonna play um I hesitate to use this phrase I actually saw on social media the other day that um, somebody was saying they hate this phrase. But I'm going to play devil's advocate for just a second yeah. Um, and ask what um, I, I know you said that it's it's the goal of authors um, for show don't tell. What is a circumstance in which that 
might not be correct um, and you want to actually mm-hmm. tell, don't show? Well, in my case, it, the, the book is written in the first person. So, so Lexi, the main character, is actually narrating the book. So, of course, she tells what she's thinking. Uh, she doesn't necessarily tell you how she's feeling, but she does tell you what she's thinking. Sometimes she gets close to telling you what she's feeling about it. She does tell you what she's thinking, but it, I wrote it as, I, I called it a fictional memoir. And that was sort of the style that I assumed. And I think there's, there's quite a bit of telling <laughs> in the physics of relationships, just because of the, because I chose to have a first person narrator. She has to right. tell you what she's thinking and, and feeling and that sort of thing. Now, some some people have felt that I didn't go deep enough into her feelings. And I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, here I just recently read a Pulitzer Prize winning book where she never tells you what anybody's thinking. She only <laughs> t- describes. I do kind of somewhere in between, you know. So, but some some people seem to want to know exactly what they're feeling, exactly what they're thinking. Um just as a reader, you know, as, as a, as an amateur reader, some amateur meaning someone who loves to read. So I don't know, again, it's sort of like, choose your own style, do it, do what pleases you. There's no other way to do it. You can't please everybody. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is something that, um, authors learn, um, every day. Um, I think sometimes maybe the hard way, um, mm-hmm. But yeah, not everybody's gonna love your book. Um, no. I, <laughs> I, I was actually talking to somebody um, yesterday that um, they they had said something about star ratings, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I I commented and and said, you know, my thought on star ratings is first of all, I hate them. I I think yeah. honestly if we could just do away with them completely um do what YouTube did and just do the thumbs up thumbs down um for yeah. <laughs> for books I think that would be great um but you know mostly because I I think it's dumb to ask someone to assign a an arbitrary number to their opinion I, mm-hmm. I think I think that is a terrible thing to do. Um, with that said, you know, they people are are always saying, well, reviews are for other readers. Reviews are not for the authors. Reviews are for other readers. Right. And, you know, I, I stated my thought on star ratings is this. If you rate something on Amazon, Goodreads, Storygraph, whatever, you know, area that you choose to review your book, if you give it a one star or a two star, please, 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 please explain why, Mm -hmm. you know, because if it's simply because you didn't enjoy the story doesn't mean nobody else is going to. But if it's because you found problematic content, especially Mm -hmm. if you found problematic content, you having a a queer child, you know, you are probably more aware of this um, than maybe, you know, parents with purely straight children. 
But, you know, if it's problematic, if it's queerphobic, mm-hmm. if it's transphobic, if it's, you know, if there's something in there that it's bigoted or racist or anything like right. that, and that is what you came across and you chose to rate it one star, I want to know. I don't want to just see your one star rating because my first assumption is, well, they just didn't like the book. And then chances are, if it's in a genre that I enjoy, I may end up picking up the book anyway. And if I come across that problematic content, then I'm going to be mad that I just spent money on this book mm-hmm, with problematic mm-hmm. content. You know, right. I'm, I'm yeah. not going to be real happy about it. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to rate it one or two stars and I'm going to explain why. And, you know, I may be the only one who did that. You know, mm-hmm. so that is that is my request to readers, reviewers, however you choose um, to rate your books. If you rate it one or two stars, please, please, for the love of all things holy, <laughs> please explain why, um, you know, especially mm-hmm. if it's problematic content, um, you know, because that is for other readers. And, you know, if you have you know, a lot of allies um, for the LGBTQ plus community. We want to know if there's that problematic content, because we're not going to support somebody who would put that in a book, you know, and that is, and I'll, I'll use my friend Gabe um, as a, as another example, I will say that his book does have some of that in it, but, 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 um, he uses it in a sensitive manner and it is specifically done to push the story forward, um, Mm -hmm. because it is a dystopian future. Um, so there is some transphobia, there is some, um, homophobia there, you know, there is, some of that in the book but it is um it is used in a a sensitive manner you know gabe is a queer trans man um so he is he is not the kind of person to use that just for quote unquote entertainment value that is not what what is is in the book for um but you know i'm not i'm not speaking to books that have that stuff in it like how gabe uses it i'm talking about where it comes across as like serious opinions mm-hmm. that to me is problematic i don't like that um right i'm not going to support authors that that put that kind of stuff in their books um mm-hmm. well, okay I, oh. go ahead okay i i, I uh I, I can relate to what you're saying. I, I, I had on Goodreads, I had one anonymous uh, one star review <laughs> with no no written review, just a, just a one star. And I thought, now, who would do that and why would they do that? Why would they just put a one star without any comment or anything like that? It just seems strange to me. But anyway. Um, yeah, it, it what, doesn't make sense to me when yeah. when that happens. It just really doesn't. And for for me. Um, and the last time I said this, I had a guest on here that um, I don't remember who it was. Um, 
but I, I happen to mention that if I am forced to um, rate a book on Amazon, like an author has asked me to um, put, you know, put a review on Amazon for their book, um, that I will not rate below four stars. Mm-hmm. I, I won't do it. Even if I disliked the book um, or didn't like it as much as other books, I won't do that because I I think it's terrible to assign an arbitrary number to my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, when I write a review on my website, you'll notice if you read any of them, I don't star rate any of my reviews. I will mm-hmm. tell you what I liked. I will tell you what I didn't like. Right. I will give my opinion on this book. Um, and then I have usually have a section where I put whether I will recommend it to you, you know, who I think would enjoy the book, those sorts of things. You won't find a star rating on my website anywhere. If you mm-hmm. do, please tell me because it <laughs> means I forgot to go in and update it and take it out. Um, because I do, I think it's terrible to, to do that. And, um, you know, I, I think that we should just be able to state our opinions without having to, to quantify them like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because of, you know, the, the one stars with no explanation, you know, if you're going to do that, then we should just do away with star ratings period. And you have to go in and put an explanation because there's no way to assign this arbitrary number to your opinion, you know, and the, the one star that you got, it could have been something as stupid as, well, I saw them on YouTube on a, in an interview and I just didn't like their face. Right. (laughs) You know. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of that. I mean, there's, what I found is that a lot of people will because I guess particularly it's because of the nature of my book, because it's 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 narrated in the voice of the main character. So people will judge the book by whether they like the main character or not, or how much they like the main character. Uh, and it's like, well, no, that's not really the only way to judge a book. I mean, it's I wasn't trying to make friends with you. I was trying to describe a character. You know, and that character is not perfect. As you said, there's you were describing books as having perfectly imperfect characters. And it's like, yeah, if if the if your character is perfect, that's boring. So, of course, they're going to they're going to have faults and weaknesses and that sort of thing. My character, my character, much like me, (laughs) as an aside, uh, has trouble making decisions. So some people thought she was a pushover. And it's like, well, that's okay. She's a pushover. You know, she, she's a little bit of a pushover, but she's also extremely kind. And part of her being a pushover is just that she's so kind. She's not willing to hurt people. So it's like, at least make that distinction, make that nuance, you know, when you're describing the book. But it's not, I mean, you know, going back to Olive Kittredge, Olive Kittredge is, is a kind of a curmudgeon. She's an old curmudgeon who occasionally does very generous, nice things but she's not particularly likable as a character. That's not the point. I'm not trying to make a character that for sure is going to be your best friend, you know, best. So anyway, that's, that's my only comment. I noticed that people really uh, often uh, 
sort of review books based on how much they like the character. I'll, I'll tell you another thing that was kind of interesting. Um, the character who's six, actually 63, the main character, the, the widow, um, her, her daughter, like my daughter, prefers to go by they, them pronouns. And occasionally she would forget. And she mentions, you know, that the daughter would immediately reprimand her for getting for using she instead of they. And in the book, it says, my daughter doesn't understand how a 63 year old brain works, meaning it's hard for her to get after after decades of saying she her. Yeah, it's a little bit hard to, you know, to always remember to say they them. Um, and people, I think, particularly, I'm guessing young people who are very sensitive to those issues, decided they didn't like the main character because she would forget from time to time to say they, them instead of yeah. she, her. And it's like, no, I'm just describing a character in her particular issue. It's not because she's a bad person or doesn't want to say they, them. Anyway, these are the kinds yeah. of things that sort of drive you crazy when you're reading reviews of your book. I probably should stop reading them. <laughs> Only read the five-star reviews. It's fine. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So I, um, in your email, um, the, I think we've only missed actually one, um, but we're almost out of time. And I, I wanted to discuss real quick, um, the question that you sent me, um, that was actually for me. Um, yeah. But it was, how do you judge the quality of a novel? What are the elements that make a satisfying reading experience? Right. Let me say this might end up going over an hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I could I could honestly probably talk about this um, for three hours or more. Um, but the the quality of a novel to me has absolutely nothing to do with the editing or the grammar or the spelling um it it bothers my proofreader editor's heart when i come across a book that is badly edited um but that doesn't affect my enjoyment of the story um it you it is pretty rare um, for something like that to pull me out of the story um relatable characters um is probably the the thing that i look for most well, um can i, I want... interrupt you for a second what, when yeah, you say re ahead. relatable you mean people that you recognize as being real yes that... okay yes not necessarily um, that or, you want to be their friend yeah or or like me in in some way okay. um you know, like I, you know, I'll I'll come across a, a story where the character does something and I think to myself, oh, I would do that. <laughs> Why are they acting like this is abnormal? Um, you know, I would do that. And, you know, like, for example, um, in the show, um, The Big Bang Theory, Sheldon Cooper um, does a lot of things that the other characters claim is abnormal and my first thought would be um why is that abnormal I would do that you know and so it's you know so to me Sheldon is a lot more relatable than maybe some of the other characters mm -hmm. 
Penny is not relatable to me at all. Um, but Leonard is a little bit, um, Raj is a little bit, Howard is a little bit, um, the, the more nerdy characters, I guess, um, are, are more relatable to me because they have behaviors and mannerisms that I recognize, um, in myself. So something that makes for a, a satisfying reading experience, um, like you, like you said in your email, um, I need to feel something at the end of the book. Um, I need to feel a certain satisfaction or sense of accomplishment, um, whether it's the good wins or, um, you know, if it ends on a, on a cliffhanger that, um, maybe, you know, somebody is in some sort of peril, um, that I get to then go read on how they're going to get out of that peril, um, and so I don't necessarily need a book hangover in order to feel like I had a satisfying reading experience, but I need to kind of have that sigh of relief um, when the book is over that, you know, okay, I, I had that experience that that was a, a good experience. I, I feel satisfied that that story is now in my life and in my in my memory um and you know when I when I read a book that um when I finish it I'm like okay why 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 did I read that book (laughs) um and I I will bring up one that I don't normally talk negatively um about books but um the it was a part of a series i think and the first book was called the arch of avublis don't ask me i have no clue um but the what bothered me about that book and i forced myself to finish it still have no clue why um but the the characters were very one-dimensional Um, there was not a whole lot of evolution, um, among the characters, um, the main character in particular kind of stayed his snarky self through the whole book. Like there was no, um, there was no evolution. There was no sort of conflict to help him move out of that, that snarky, overly confident persona um so I when I finished the book there was no satisfaction there because Mm -hmm. you know I I didn't get to see a change in in the characters um and the you know a, a really satisfying reading experience um again I'm going to bring up my friend Gabe's book um because the orchid and the lion his characters were so perfectly imperfect that when I finished the book, I, there was a sense of closure, even though it sort of ended on a cliffhanger. Um, I'm not going to say too much about that. I'm not going to spoil the story. Um, 
but there was still a sense of satisfaction um, because there were characters who evolved. There were characters that changed. There were characters that, you know, moved from one space to another and from one mind space to another. So that was very satisfying that I got to, you know, move along with them through their their evolution and their their character arc. So I guess, long story short, um, I I need character evolution um, mm-hmm. in in a story in order to feel satisfied with the story. Um, it is not something um, that you don't necessarily need editing. Um, and for me to, to enjoy the story as a, a professional proofreader editor, um, please let me edit your books. Um, but um, I, I don't, that is not something that I require. Um, I do not require a perfectly edited book um, in order for that book to feel satisfying, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, real quick, we we are actually over an hour. I'm really sorry, guys. Um, but I do kind of want to know what you you think about that. Um, we're gonna go over just a little bit of time. Uh, you guys, I hope you don't mind. I hope you've had a really good time. Um, but at the same time, I I want to know what your thought is on what makes a satisfying experience. Oh gosh. You're turning the question around to me. I, I asked, am. I asked you because I have no idea. No, oh. <laughs> I, I, I guess, I guess in the end, you always, uh, you always kind of come back to the feeling you have. I, I think you sort of wrapped it up well when you said, um, "Did I feel like this? Uh, you know, uh, by the end of the book, do you feel like uh, you've done something worthwhile by reading this book? You know." Uh, yeah. There's a lot of, I mean, if, if, if you've just been dragged through tragedy and violence and, and hardship, uh, and then there's no gain out of it, if you, if you haven't learned something about humanity, if you haven't enjoyed the prose, if you haven't laughed a little bit along the way, or, or, you know, if you haven't, if it, if the book hasn't helped you get deeper in touch with your own feelings and emotions, or say something about the nature of humanity and life, um, and you've gone through, you've been dragged through pain, suffering, and hardship, then it's like, why did I do that? Why did I put myself through this for no emotional gain, you know? So that would be the worst possible kind of experience. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of different types of pleasures in in reading a book. Sometimes it's just uh, going to a new place to meet new characters, to expanding your sense of humanity. just sharing your humanity with someone else's mind, you know, just, just saying, okay, I'm not alone. You know, there are other people that have the same feelings and um, just reducing your sense of separation and loneliness, isolation. Um, Sometimes it's going on an adventure that's, you know, that you don't actually want to do in real life because it's too dangerous. You know, all of those things, all of those things I think are valid, you know, just having a deeper understanding of yourself or other people. enjoying, like I said, and just enjoying the poetry of the prose, um, having a little laugh, having a little cry. All of those things are worthwhile. That's what literature does. Yep. Absolutely agree. Um, okay, so we are over an hour. Whoops. Yep. Um, 
But real quick, before we say goodbye, where can people find you online to come hang out? Well, I have an author website, uh, which is probably the first place you should check out. Um, it's uh, chazhalpernauthor.com. So Chaz is C-H-A-S and Halpern is H-A-L-P-E-R-N. So it's chazhalpern.com. Um, okay. I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook, if you want to check those out. I think my Facebook is public. I'm not sure. I forget. Anyway, you can find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> I don't do a lot of social media, probably to my disadvantage, but yeah, um, just not a big part of my life. You know, I don't do a lot. Of, I don't do Instagram or anything like that. Okay. Um, well, this has been an absolute blast. I had so much fun with you today. Definitely need to come back, um, have you come back um, when your next book is out. Uh, so you'll have to let me know when that is out. Yeah. Um, and I will definitely um, read and review the physics of relationships um, as soon as I can. Um, and I will be sure to um, tag you um, when the, or I'll email you actually. Um, okay. When I get this episode published, um, probably tomorrow, uh, we're recording on Saturday, um, and I normally will publish on Sunday um, around noon or one central time. So mm -hmm. um, I will let you know when I have that up um, okay. so that you can share it to your followers. And um, other than that, um, I will have a show notes page uh, with links to all of Chaz's stuff um, for everybody. Um, I will have that up tomorrow. Um, and you can find all of that um, at thepickybookworm.com. Um, so go check it out. Uh, go to chazhelpernauthor.com. Check him out. Join his newsletter if he's got one. Um, and other than that... I hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend and stay warm because it is <laughs> cold outside. Well, yeah, I have. I'm fortunate enough to live in, in uh, the Bay Area and in uh, California where it never gets super cold or super hot. But anyway, um, so, thanks. Thanks so, so much, Pamela. Yeah, it's, I know. It's, it's like 19 degrees outside here. So. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, thanks so much, Pamela. It's been a total delight talking with you. Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and I will talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye.